This episode is brought to you by Get Mobile ID by Get Group North America, the smart choice for ID implementations. Put citizens in control with Get Mobile ID, fully ISO compliant 18013-5, and surpasses AMVA guidelines. Learn more at getgroupna.com. Welcome to AmbaCast, bringing news, information, and expertise to the Amba community. Here's your host, Ian Grossman. Enjoy the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the AmbaCast. This week, we are doing a little case study window into one jurisdiction's shift to changing their operations and customer interaction, uh, not only related to changes that are, you know, were certainly accelerated by the pandemic, but just a general overall modernization, not modernization in the system modernization sense, but modernizing the the approach and the way they interact with with their customers. And maybe we'll talk about a few other things as well in terms of what's going on in Tennessee. And joining me this week is Paula Shaw Daniels, who is a assistant commissioner at the Tennessee Department of Homeland Safe Department of Safety and Homeland Security in Tennessee, which for those of you who don't know, is where the driver licensing responsibility falls in Tennessee. Uh, Tennessee has some split agencies, which we'll talk a little bit about, because also one of Paula's unique distinctions is she's now worked in all the different separate agencies that touch the motor vehicle world in Tennessee. So Paula, welcome to your first appearance on Thank you, Ian. I'm glad to be here and uh, really appreciate uh, the opportunity to share our experiences with you. And I guess I'll say just on a, on a personal note, because we were just laughing about it before I pressed the record button, as I introduce you as Paula Shaw Daniels. Congratulations. Many of our listeners may know you as Paula Shaw and are wondering about that third name. So congratulations on, can we still say newlywed? Uh, of course, yes. We're not hardly a year yet, but yes, this has been a very eventful year for me and uh, very exciting time. So yes, I've added another last name. Excellent. Congratulations. So you know, we asked you to come on because we've observed, uh, the, my team of researchers have observed and said, you know, Tennessee has really done some interesting things over the past year, two to three years, uh, as it relates to changing the way you're working with your customers and the citizens of, of Tennessee. Um, and so let's, let's, let's just talk about it. Let me, let me ask you first, what prompted the change in approach? When did that kind of bell go off that the folks in the agency said, all right, it's time to really start shifting the way we're interacting and delivering our customer service? Well, I think it was a combination of things. Obviously, uh, when I joined the agency, we were at the tail end of uh, the real ID before the deadline was extended. So we had long lines, disgruntled customers, and we were searching for ways to uh, service our customers better. We were already in the process of doing that. Um, the pandemic, of course, accelerated um, the attention that we were getting. Uh, it changed the dynamic of so many different things. And um, just when I, I initially joined the agency, I came with the with the view and the perspective of if I could leave, if when I leave the organization that it's a little bit better for the people to work in and the customer service, the service that the customers receive is a little better than what they had experienced in the past, then I would have accomplished my goal. Mm -hmm. So we set out, we, we charted the course to start with, with that in mind, it, a better place for our employees to work and a better uh, service for, our, for the public. And then um, as the other things evolved, we, like I said, I went into Real ID with just a 
Um, the tail end of that real ID with the long lens and the crisis, a lot of attention from the legislature, the governor's office, uh, just an outcry from the public, and then trying to manage the COVID crisis. Mm -hmm. So the, the, the challenges that were there also came with opportunities, and they also came with attention from the highest levels, mm -hmm. legislature and governor, which was a tense time, but it also came with resources. Yeah. And it came with support of leadership to allow us to um, look at things in a different way, to try things uh, with a different approach. And they were receptive to it because obviously what we were doing uh, needed a little improvement. So where did you start? I mean, it sounds like there was no shortage of ideas where you wanted to kind of create these improvements and like you say, leave it better than you found it. How did you decide how to prioritize? Well, we kind of narrowed it down. There were three primary areas that we wanted to look at. One of them we realized quickly is that we needed to address the flow in our centers. Our centers are older centers. They were built at a different time uh, when driver services actually had different responsibilities. A lot of people may or may not know that, or and I'm sure they've seen it in their jurisdictions, that as time has gone on, a lot of additional responsibilities have been placed on driver services other than driver's tests. So, that changed the flow, that demand for service changed the flow uh, in the centers, and, um, but the facilities, the structures themselves had not changed. Mm -hmm. uh, the processes had not necessarily changed. Um, we had a good head start with a good platform uh, computer system, but we had room to grow. And then we wanted to look at um, how we delivered services externally. If we, it, one of the ways that we could service our customers is if they, if they never had to come to the center at all. Mm -hmm. That would reduce the lines and that would allow us to get in a situation where we could manage the required foot traffic in the centers much more effectively. And then we wanted to look at our workforce. What are we providing or not providing to our workforce that would make them better prepared, that would help them provide better service and give them more job satisfaction and more uh, work-life balance because it is an extremely stressful job. Mm -hmm. So talk to me about what the changes are that you that you made to uh, the, the flow. Let's start with the flow. I think, you know, I hear two things in flow. One is literally the physical flow of the customers when they're walking into the physical facility, but then perhaps also business flow of how your employees are handling intake of documents and business process. Am I reading too much into that or is that? No, I think you're, you're exactly on track with that. One of the things that we have had a lot of success with, and I don't think we would have ever received the buy-in from it had it not been for COVID, was switching to uh, a system where we provide service by appointments. Mm -hmm. Now, we started from the beginning. Tennessee is one of the states that never completely closed down during the pandemic, and nor did we stop accepting walk-ins. But we uh, were able to move forward with some existing vendors that we already had on board and to put in appointment system yeah. while also managing foot traffic at the same time. And I'm going to compare this. This is the philosophy that I approached from the beginning was I want you to think about this like you would if you were going to a barbershop, a traditional barbershop. When you go to a traditional barbershop, everybody shows up at 8 o'clock in the morning and they sit there all day long until they can get their appointment. And a lot of people are upset. If you go into a uh, hairstyling shop, yeah. they're set by appointment and they space out. But if somebody walks in in between and they've had a cancellation of an appointment, they fit them in. Right. 
So we started out with that mindset and so few of our people, our customers were not familiar with the process. Our, um, um, our workforce was not familiar with the process. They didn't, all they knew, and, and one of the things I quickly recognized, we were piling coals on our own head. Mm -hmm. I heard continually, well, you can go to the X center, but you'll need to get there by eight o'clock in the morning because if you don't get there by eight o'clock in the morning, you probably won't get service that day. Because it's filled with appointments. Well, this was before, before appointments. Okay, so before what they would do is, is everybody that needed service would show up at eight o'clock in the morning mm -hmm. and they were mad and they waited all day long. So what we done with the, with the appointments is we spaced out. We made so many appointments available per hour, which allowed us still time to do the, take the walk-ins in and manage that. And it was a learning curve for our staff. It was a learning curve for uh, leadership and for the legislature that they couldn't understand why. Well, I just went up there to get service and I had to wait a long time. Well, did you have an appointment? There's a way to avoid that. So. Uh, we we were able to implement and and get finally get our people comfortable with it and they've learned how to manage that and we have been able to um, receive the support of leadership all the way up to the governor's office for the appointment management system and they've been patient with us while everybody was learning and implementing another thing that we did is we um, put online a wait time map Mm -hmm. um, which is, is real time and it, you can look if you're located between centers and you're thinking, well, I need to go at this time, um, then you can look and see, well, it's 15 minute wait time here. It's 45 minute wait time over at another location. I should probably go over here if I don't have an appointment. Mm -hmm. So that allowed the customers to have some flexibility, even if they said they needed service that day and it were in their general location, it was an extreme amount of time. They may see where they could drive 45 minutes and get service the same day or receive service the same day. So that has been a very helpful tool. And getting positive feedback from customers? Yeah, very positive. The customers, as far as the appointment system, we have received extremely positive feedback. We have gone in our customer service side from, when I walked in the door about two and a half years ago, it was mm -hmm. just not positive comments. Yeah. And now we actually receive more co uh, compliments than we do complaints, which yeah. is really a strange thing <laughs> to experience. Um, and we see a lot of response from, uh, from customers saying that, well, I am from another state and uh, this is totally different from what we're used to. Oh, so um, we like that. We've added a, a, th a queue anywhere. You can yeah. log in from yeah. Um, before your appointment, uh, that was very helpful to us uh, and the virtual lobby component was very helpful to us during COVID to maintain uh, social distancing because you can log in in your car and just sit, you can sit in the car until your turn and then you receive a text that tells you to come in the center. And employees, they also embraced it and are positive about the change? They are. Uh, you know, in the beginning, it's a learning curve because change. this is it's yeah. a completely different mindset from what they've always known. And it was a matter of maintaining a level of calm and assurance to see this through. Mm -hmm. And what the customer or what the, the employees have said is it's removed that element of stress because you can only imagine if everybody's showing it up at eight o'clock in the morning, they're trying to push through the door on you. Mm -hmm. it, they're constantly upset and constantly um, 
they have some concern with the way the job's being performed. But if you can space the traffic out, it takes the stress off of the examiner and makes a better place for them to work as well. Yeah. Now, the other side of the flow that you mentioned was the age of the facilities. Did you make hard structural changes or how people actually move through the facilities? The At this point in time, we have not made a great amount of structural changes. Now we have put, we have changed what I would call footfall traffic. Um, it's, it's equivalent to if you are, if you're in a line and you can see there are 50 people in front of you, you get antsy because you know it's going to be a long time. But if you could manage the process to where you check in outside, you wait in your car till time to come in, that's one point of footfall. You come to the door, your documents are checked, are they accurate, are you, do you even need to be here, the triage? Do you need to move to the next phase? So at each point, the people are seeing 10, 12 people in front of them rather than all of the 50 that are waiting. And it just that in itself helps to uh, relieve some of the pressure. And did you see in doing that, you know, one of the, the trends we unfortunately saw during the pandemic was a rise in customer frustration and uh, a willingness to share their frustration with, you know, the branch, branch employees. Did this help de-escalate? Did you see... Uh, any impact in that stress level going down, or at least maybe it didn't make it as challenging yeah, as it could have been? The public, uh, they're stressed. It was, it's was it been a stressful time. Yeah. Um, and we did see some frustration, but by and large, we, we received a lot of positive feedback, whereas a person may have stood in that line all day long and then got to the counter and found out that their documents were not what they needed and had to come back. In this process where we check them at the door, they're not spending all day long. They're there. I have an opportunity to go and then come back. And they, we received a lot of positive feedback and appreciation for p implementing that step and those processes that allowed them to, um, to save their time yeah. and manage their time rather than have to wait all day. Now, I imagine these these changes and in innovations fuel the desire to do more, the demand for more. So how did, what did this lead into next? Did it lead into other types of changes and customer changes? You know, a lot of folks are talking about, you know, they moved more services online. Sounds like you did some of that. You know, what, what might be next in terms of tackling these customer conveniences? Well, we did. We were able to implement, um, we implemented a QR code system where the people are waiting in the parking lot. They can, uh, you know, just scan the QR code and uh, gain answers and responses to a lot of questions. That's something that we've moved into. Um, we also um, are looking, you know, we're actually moving forward with something that we piloted in, during the pandemic, which was a virtual skills testing, which has been very well received by our staff, the public. It, it, it helps uh, the, the new drivers seem more um, uh, comfortable with a parent or a you know, a familiar person in the car with them when they're doing the test. So a virtual skill says we've heard a lot of conversations about remote knowledge testing. I don't know that we've heard a lot of jurisdictions talking about virtual skills test where someone other than a driver examiner is administering that skills test. Is that what you're That's what we're, that's exactly what we're doing. Okay, tell, tell me more. Um, we piloted a couple of different uh, scenarios during COVID and this being one of them. Uh, one of them was a proctored outside the vehicle and then this, sure. this option was where we put uh, cameras, two cameras in the car and GPS with pre-programmed routes. And then our, uh, there are certain guidance tools that are given to the parent 
to the young driver mm -hmm. um, instruction and then our examiner is able to view the entire process uh, during the test and rate the test. When the uh, young driver gets back or the new driver gets back to the center, we've already got the uh, skills test evaluated and um, give, it gives automatic feedback as well. Mm -hmm. um, so the, the examiner is watching it live. Watching it live. And they're, they're on a route that you have given them the map. So they're... they're it's programmed, it's programmed into the GPS. Okay. It tells them where they go. It tells them if they... But they're in their own car. They're, they're in their own car. And, um, it, and it, it tells them, you know, if, they, if their speed exceeds what it's supposed to, it, it automatically you can hear it reading out over the camera. So we're really excited about that. Our examiners are thrilled about it. The parents seem to be very receptive to it, actually requesting it in a lot of cases. Um, so uh, we did pilot that through uh, the COVID process, and we are going through a budgeting and procurement phase to acquire additional equipment that would allow us to distribute statewide. Um, we see this as a, a, a significant safety factor for our examiners. As we know, our examiners are, are exposed to a, a lot of risky activity, and this really cuts down on some of that risk for them. So we're really excited about that. And have you seen any trends in pass-fail rates in terms of applicants using that pilot process versus the traditional process? As a rule, it's uh, more successful. They have a greater success rate, and we think that maybe that's because the the parent or guardian that's in the car with them, then maybe they're a little bit more comfortable with that individual. They're less, just less nervous. Just like less nervous. At, now, the parent, I will say, the parents say that it's absolute torture for them <laughs> for to have to sit in the car and not say anything or, yeah. or make a sound. But Because the camera's in the, in the vehicle, you're getting the audio as well, so you know if the parent is coaching them beyond what they Exactly, should. yeah. If, if the parent gives them any guidance, that's an automatic fail, and the parents do not want them to fail. No. <laughs> so, um, yeah, we've uh, we changed uh, a couple other things we've done. We changed to an inter interview style application, whereas we would give them a piece of paper and tell them to go sit down, fill it out, bring it back. That was a cumbersome process. So now we've changed it more to an interview style when the people come to the counter. This is for our new drivers? And this is just this for everybody. Okay. And um, that saved a significant amount of time. And um, I, I do want to switch back to the virtual skills test just for a moment. We, from what we've seen in our pilot, we should run, we should be able to do almost two to one uh, numbers of skill te skills testing in the time allotments that we save virtual mm -hmm. uh, versus what we were doing in the manual uh, environment. So. Now, now, why is that? Because it's still you still have an examiner dedicated to sitting and observing the test real time. So, how is where, where does the efficiencies come from through that through that model? Since you still need that examiner dedicated to the same to that test. The major efficiencies are coming in in that the examiner is able to uh, while the while the student is gearing up and starting the test, the examiner is already back at the computer screen to monitor. They've already got the file up while the, um, the test has ended and all that period of time it takes to get out of the car, to come into the center, to get the license produced, that examiner is there. They already know whether they passed or failed. They're already keying the information into the computer. So, um, and I'm going to quote my numbers incorrectly, but um, the traditional skills test would take 15 to 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. The under the virtual skills test, what we see, it's taking about seven 
seven to 12 minutes for the process. It's the same time in the actual vehicle. It's the same time in the actual vehicle. It's that transition time before and after. Correct. That time that that our examiner is being able to be efficient and use that time uh, to continue to process that's made all the difference. And, you know, that, so that's another area that I wanted to ask you about because we've followed, you know, some of Tennessee's efforts there. Since we're talking about driver exams and driver examiners, you've uh, recently taken a significant investment to really up the training of your examiners in major part leveraging AMVA's IDEC program. Absolutely. Well, that was the other component. Like I said, we looked at uh, the inside the the centers, how the center was flowing, and then we looked at our how we develop our deliver services externally, which is more of our online service component. And then we looked at training. One of the things that that I think everyone knows and that we firmly believe is that um, our service will be better if we have a more knowledgeable, skilled uh, workforce that knows that we value what they do and that we're making that investment in them, and um, their job satisfaction will be better. So we took a very aggressive effort to uh, certify our um, examiners, training and education for examiners, and IDEC, uh, the AMVA program being uh, the most renowned program in the industry, uh, we took a very aggressive approach to that, and in less than six months we have certified 102 of our examiners to as certified examiners. We started with a train the trainer model and we took some of our uh, rock stars that were willing to join the program and become trainers and we carried them through the program first and then started staggered uh, approaches to um, the actual training and implementation for our our examiners they are very appreciative of it even we started with our senior examiners we didn't start with our our newest examiners Mm -hmm. we took the people that had been there a long time and started with them, and they're telling us that, you know, we're learning the whys behind what we do. Uh, so I've been doing this for X years, and wow, this makes me Now it makes sense, I understand. And um, they are have been advocates to the other examiners. We've, uh, they take great pride in it, and we, we make a great, uh, you know, we really give them the, uh, the value and the, the production of how we deliver this in a way that it it really um, shows the value of what they do and lets them experience that. Uh, We have graduation coming up, another graduation coming up soon, and we'll be kicking off another round of classes. Mm -hmm. And um, we're making this a part of an effort where the families can be involved because it's a great accomplishment for our examiners Mm -hmm. to be able to become certified at this highest level. And, uh, you know, we'd like to say at some point in time we have the most highly trained uh, workforce as far as uh, the ability to deliver driver services in the nation, and that is our goal. Excellent. What does that mean to have the families more involved? You know, to become uh, certified as a IDEC examiner, and this is their field of choice, this is their profession that they're making a career and life out of, this is, this is the highest accomplishment that that individual can attain is to become IDEC certified. And it's a, it's a great source of pride for them, um, for their, their family that supports them and allows them to make the sacrifice to uh, perform the duties of this job every day. And we think it's important for the families to be able to um, help 
support them and to appreciate the sacrifices that they're making as well. That's wonderful. So I mentioned in the outset when I introduced you that a little bit of um, different background than maybe some of the other chief administrators throughout, you know, North America. You know, right now you're in a chief administrator role specifically in the driver licensing space, but you've previously worked in other elements of the motor vehicle community in Tennessee where there are separate agencies. So share a little bit more of that background with our listeners. Well, it's been, a, it's been an interesting career, I'll say. I've been in state government now for 32 years. And um, I started out in a regulatory capacity, not even associated with the motor vehicle side at all. But I quickly moved into motor vehicle regulatory as an um, uh, investigator, field investigator for uh, a dealer licensing agency, our Motor Vehicle Commission. Spent several years there working consumer fraud cases, partnering with the uh, criminal investigative side a lot on the anti-theft aspects, which I absolutely loved. I think motor vehicle in itself is an industry that you either understand and you get it and you love it or you don't. And I was one of those people that I got it. It made sense to me from the beginning, from the day that I walked in. I left uh, after several years there. I ended up uh, being director of title and registration mm -hmm. uh, for the state for uh, several years. And uh, let's see, where did I go from there? Uh, I moved then to a Department of Transportation. I was over transportation, rail, and waterways, which gave me an insight into freight movement uh, that has really clicks with the if to IRP and the commercial vehicle side mm. that I probably would not have gotten that perspective. Um, and then I spent a period of time working inside the prisons mm. where uh, I gained an understanding of how important it is for an individual inside of the, uh, the incarcerated population, how important it is for them to have a credential, either identity, a driver's license, or some type of credential uh, when, they are, uh, when they leave the facility. It removes so many barriers for them and opens doors that helps to alleviate the possibility uh, or reduce the possibility of recidivism. So I've, it just goes on. I ended up with a, back at a, with the Motor Vehicle Commission as executive director for several years, and then was invited uh, to come over and work back in Department of Safety as assistant commissioner with Overdriver Services. So I've, I've been around all aspects of it, and I've loved every minute of it. And how does that inform or change the way you look at driver's licenses, you give the one example with the prison population and someone being prepared to be released. I'd imagine, you know, you mentioned IRP and IFTA and, and uh, having worked on the infrastructure side, having worked on the motor vehicle side, and now on the credentialing licensing side. Um, compare how you maybe view something um, that maybe you've been able to share with your team where maybe they didn't look at licensing a certain way, but because you've worked in these other spaces, you've been able to say, well, you know, see how it fits into the, the whole pie as opposed to just the, the licensing standalone, especially in a state like Tennessee where they are separate agencies. I think the main thing that it's been able to, I do have the perspective from the different organizations, how they work, how they fit together, and how they they're dependent on each other mm -hmm. and so many times when we work in a single agency we we see things from that perspective and we can't necessarily because we haven't been exposed to it see how one little thing that we're doing or we're not doing how that impacts the life of other people mm -hmm. for for example in the case of the incarcerated population uh, 
you can change a life, you can change a family's life, you can change the whole outcome of a situation by being able to service that population in, in, a right, in the proper way. Um, you know, when I worked in Motor Vehicle Commission, all of the little nuances about title delivery or registration delivery, if there's a failure there, what I learned and what I've been able to make my people understand is this is not just a person that hasn't received a title. There's a reason for that. And if it's not something on the state side, we probably have a consumer out here that has experienced a hardship or some level of fraud. To be able to connect those dots to the administrative staff that may be starting out on their career, and that's the first point that they see, to be able to make it real for them, to make them understand that what you're doing here is not just entering data in a computer. You are making the difference in somebody's life. And so many people who work in government service, that's what they're there for. They're there to make a difference. And you, and I think that's the, one of the abilities that I've gained, being able to work in these different capacities, is to make them understand how what they're doing is really making a difference in other people's lives. Excellent. Well, Paul, I appreciate you taking some time to chat. Like I said, when we started to do this, we no real agenda, just wanted to chat. Tennessee was doing some cool things. I thought we may use it as an opportunity to share it with our listeners. Um, I'm sure they've got more questions and I want to follow up with you and we'll make sure they can they can connect if they need to. Well, thank you so much and uh, I, I appreciate it and just keep watching because there's more to come. Excellent. <laughs> well, we'll have you back for the update in, in the future. All right. Thank you. Thank you. And to all of you out there, thanks for listening this week. Thanks to our producers, Claire Jeffrey and Chelsea Hadwin. Until next week, everyone, stay well. Thank you for joining us for AmbaCast, hosted by Ian Grossman, produced by Claire Jeffrey and Chelsea Hadwin, music by Gibson Arthur. This episode was brought to you by Get Mobile ID by Get Group North America. Visit us at amvacast.podbean.com and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify.